This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. We are talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and beauty owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillips. This week on Fearless Beauties, we're spicing it up with another episode on horror stories in the treatment room. Yes, so back by popular demand, we wanted to hear more about what estheticians actually face and how they can continue their work in the most professional manner possible. Then, next time, we'll be back to the chapters of the Fearless Beauties book. To start off, we chatted with Andrea Selner, the founder of The Organic Escape. This lady came in with extensions from another spa. I didn't know how to do a removal. I didn't even know that you had to remove before putting like new lash extensions or fills back on. So I did her fill. She looked at it. She was pissed. She hated it. She's like, they look so ugly. Started screaming at me basically. Like, how do you think this looks good? Like, I'm like, and I'm just like, this like 21 year old, like, I'm sorry. So I go get my manager. They ended up fixing for it, doing a complete removal, redoing them. She ended up being really happy. Thank God I had someone there who was a pro at doing lash extensions. But after she left and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that we could have fixed it for you. And the lady was like, yeah, otherwise someone would have been killed. So Mary, it honestly sucks that Andrea had to perform lash extensions with no training, but I'm sure she is not the only esthetician who has been put in that situation and felt like they were stuck in between a rock and a hard place. So what should new estheticians keep in mind when they're attempting an unfamiliar treatment for the first time? Well, Taylor, it seems like an innocent question, but it's really a loaded question. First, I don't think estheticians should be attempting an unfamiliar treatment on a paying client or at least on a client who doesn't know this is the first time the esthetician is doing the treatment. The esthetician really needs to get educated in the services that she's providing and the skincare that she's offering. She or he needs to be really proactive to get up to speed on those expectations. Go to your employer and say, I'm not comfortable doing XYZ. I need someone to show me, or I need an orientation on this. But sometimes they're afraid. They need the job, they need the income. I think it's really unconscionable that spa owners would willingly put estheticians into treatments that they're unfamiliar with. But I can think of two instances that I'm aware of where the spa did just that. My daughter-in-law was an esthetician before she had kids, and she attended a school that didn't teach her how to perform lash extensions. She got hired by a salon right after graduation, and she went to day one of her orientation where she shadowed another esthetician. At the end of her first day, she was told that day two, she would spend doing lash extensions all day because the spa had a group on lash special going on. Most of her days would be spent doing lashes. And when she said she had never done lashes before, the owner just gave her some lashes and glue, told her to go home, practice that night on her husband, my son. Now, my son was a really good sport. But there is a whole lot of work that goes into learning lash extension application. It's a very complicated process and requires a lot of practice to get good at it. My daughter-in-law didn't last two hours on day two. 
she just quit. And that really soured her on this amazing career she could have had. Yeah, Mary, I, I'm thinking about if I was in your daughter-in-law situation, I probably would have quit too, because it's getting all this training in aesthetics. And then your first day on the job, you're excited. And then you just feel out of control. And like you basically are starting all over. And I think it kind of sucks that the boss just gave her some lashes and glue and said, here, go teach yourself. I think that's kind of very unethical. Yeah, no, it was crushing for her. Well, the second instance was another one that's hard for me to understand. You know, a graduate of our school was hired at a very prominent med spa. On day one, she arrived super excited, got walked through the space, shown where to put her purse, where to put her lunch, and then boom, she's at work and she's going to see her first client alone. And it turned out that she was assigned to perform a body contouring treatment um, on a piece of equipment that she'd never even seen before. She didn't even know how to turn it on. Now, I try to teach my students that if you can drive a Ford, you can drive a Honda, and that the theory and the physics of a lot of treatments that you learn are the same, but you've just got to get oriented to the machine. So, for example, with body contouring, it involves using radio frequency energy that will heat the tissue to 39 to 42 degrees centigrade for a sustained 10 minute period of time. But each device is just slightly different and does require a little bit of orientation. You have to use a glide product on the skin. So some devices use water-based glide, some devices use glycerin-based glide. So this graduate got her client settled in the room, undressed, ready on the treatment table, and then she had to make several trips back and forth out of the room to touch base with another staff person to get tips on what to do and how to use the device. And then she called me during her lunch hour. Her voice was just shaking, but she was a single mom. She needed the job. She felt like she didn't know what to do. She did approach the owner and the owner just told her, it's your responsibility to contact the device rep and set up a training session if you aren't familiar with any of these devices. So I think a word of advice is if you're hired somewhere and you're not familiar with the treatment or the equipment or the skincare, you've got to talk with your employer. And then if the employer isn't receptive, you've got to take the initiative to get the training from a reputable source, like the rep for the device. Several years ago, I was asked to be an expert in a lawsuit where a black woman was severely burned because the esthetician didn't know the device and didn't know where to get training or even want to mention that, like, I don't know how to use this. So she went home, she watched YouTube videos the night before, and now her client is permanently disfigured because of this esthetician's poor judgment. So Mary, I just have to say, these seem like some very unethical situations these business owners are putting their new employees in. Like for one, the fact that this esthetician had to go back and forth out of the room to ask for advice on what to do and then to come back in the room and fake professionalism. It just, it's so uncomfortable, but I just feel like one of your graduates, the one that told you that her boss said to contact the device reps of the machine to get her training. I was a little put back. Like, isn't she supposed to teach her how to use the machine? But I guess 
if they hire you, they expect you to know or take the initiative to learn. So I think at orientation for a new job, it's always smart to let your boss know up front what you are and aren't trained to do. And also just let them know that you'll get the proper training as soon as possible. Just so your boss knows and won't put you in those uncomfortable situations where clients are upset or worse, damaged from a treatment gone wrong. Yeah, I think learning something new, you always need to have a couple of practice sessions. You need to have a model who is going to pay nothing or maybe pay the consumable fee so you can get the bugs work out and then you come across as more confident when you've got paying clients. When I learn something new, I work on friends and family or, you know, offer a free treatment to some favorite clients. I want to get my rhythm down and understand what could happen afterwards and then do a troubleshoot any problems. I know for our educators at the school, we have in-service days where we train on new devices or new skincare. We bring the reps in to teach us so that we can teach as students. I've sent our instructors to California to learn at the company headquarters for hydrofacial or cool sculpting so that they can learn absolutely the right way so they can come back and then teach students the right way. And then we have our skincare reps come in and they're happy to come in. They're happy to come in and train. Well, I think that's some great advice, Mary. I just love how you send your instructors to trainings. And you also bring in reps to teach your students. You're doing some amazing things at Spectrum. And I cannot wait to come visit after COVID's over. <laughs> I know. But healthy communication, all in all, is just, it's key in order to prevent scary situations from happening. But I love how you said to come across as confident. I would say fake it till you make it. I mean, don't do anything that is completely foreign to you. But be professional and carry yourself like a fully trained and capable esthetician. Yeah, I think it's a fine line between fake it till you make it and also making sure that you get enough education because it can be a huge liability issue. Definitely. And that was not the only story that Andrea told us. Well, let's hear the next one. I have this this mom and I'd say she was a little bit controlling. So when I was in the treatment room with her, she was getting a facial for her 15 year old son, just dealing with blackheads around the nose. I mean, you know, what 15 year old doesn't deal with some of those skin issues and almost the entire treatment, she was standing over us, over him and like hooking and touching at his nose with her fake nails. Why he has blackheads, sweetheart is because you're probably sitting here touching and picking at his skin all day. She was sweet. She was sweet. But I was just like, this is a little, how do I tell you to back off? I don't know. And those, in those kind of moments, you kind of have to learn how to be like, um, how do I say this nicely? Like, back off, lady. So, yeah, I think that's a little too much, I would say. Touching your son's nose during his facial with your dirty nails is kind of defeating the purpose of the treatment. It's so counterproductive. Mary, have you ever encountered a similar situation to what Andrea was describing here? I can't remember ever having a hovering mother, Ugh, but I had a hovering boyfriend and I had to say, excuse me, I need some space to work. I'll tell you, it's really creepy when you've got the boyfriend that wants to come in and watch his girlfriend or wife get a Brazilian. It just feels a little <laughs> bit on the sexual. Like it arouses him? Yes. <laughs> Yes. And I had to, you know, I need space to work, get out of the way. But after that, it was just like, no, 
no, our insurance doesn't allow us to have extra people in the room. We have safety concerns. So, you know, Taylor, do you have any suggestions, tactful ways to keep that helicopter parent away? Well, I think it could be a sticky situation to tell a helicopter parent to stop hovering. I mean, that's kind of what they do. But during a professional procedure where an SD needs space and concentration, the last thing they need is a parent all up in their sauce being a distraction. So I would suggest that if the SD senses hovering tendencies in the lobby, in the lobby is the key word here, to introduce yourself to that parent and the child and ask for the child's name, give them yours, have a quick conversation about what will be done, go over the form they filled out just in case there are allergies and whatnot, and then ask the parent if there's anything they would like to add, just to make them feel a part of the procedure without actually being a part of the procedure, if you catch my drift, and just politely say, okay, well, we'll see you in a little bit. Your son, your daughter, they're in good hands, don't worry. And I think that approach is an Essie's way of setting firm boundaries without being too harsh. I think that's great advice of like, okay, you're in good hands. Yeah, all state. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrea had an interesting question. How do you nicely tell a parent or even the client to back off? What's your opinion? Yeah, let's see what other story Andrea had to tell us. Later in my career, this happened about a year ago, I had a salicylic peel gone wrong. I, I don't do a lot of peels in the treatment room because that's not really my thing. I like to kind of refer those out, but I was just doing like a little 15% salicylic peel and it was so liquidy that it ended up going behind this girl's ears, dripped down and went behind her ears and she ended up having to go to her doctor because it was chemically burned behind her ears. And I just, I mean, that was a big learning lesson and that's kind of what you have to take from those, you know, it's just a learning lesson to know how to apply it better in the future. But that was one thing that was just scary. I don't ever have to deal with something like that again. <laughs> and she wasn't experiencing any discomfort. And maybe because she was younger and she just maybe didn't know how to communicate that. And this, this specific peel, it feels very cooling when it goes on. It doesn't really feel crazy. So she probably thought it was like all normal and good. What can you do? But thanks, God, she's okay, and she has come back to me since then. So I'm grateful yeah. that she still has trust in me. Reconciling a mistake as an esthetician is hard. I mean, I've had my share. I think that the first thing you have to do when you find out that there's been an adverse event is that the client becomes your new best friend. You know, I've always included in my aftercare instructions that the client has to call me if they have a problem. And then if I did get a call, I want them to come in so that I can visually see the problem. One time I even drove to a client's house because she wouldn't come in to see me. And so I think taking pictures to document exactly what the issue is. Now clients can send you a selfie, but seeing it in person, I think, is still the preferred way. That way you can connect more personally with the client. You know, I always apologize. I took ownership for any kind of problem because you want to just connect with the client. And the honest truth is I felt terrible whenever anything bad would happen. I would lose sleep. I would fret. I would, you know, second guessing what happened. Sometimes I didn't know what happened. And so then I had to try to deduce what the issue was. Anyway, talking to the client and then checking in daily. Phone calls and texts every day to make sure that the issue is resolving. And document all of it in their record. 
and I kept an adverse event log so I could find out the reasons for problems. A really great example is I had a technician whose clients always got a blister whenever she performed laser hair removal on their upper lip. And so then I had another instance when any client who had a particular skin tightening treatment ended up getting a burn. So then I could deduce that the technician who was treating the client who gets the burn, she needed more training. But if everyone who uses this particular device, anyone using it, their client gets a burn, then I know it's the device that has the problem and has to get recalibrated. So I would do a quick review of my adverse event log, and that would sort of help me figure out the problem and the solution. Well, unfortunately, you don't know how to reconcile a mistake until that mistake is made. It's all about staying professional through it all and taking ownership, but also making the client feel like everything is being done to fix it. So mistakes happen, and the way Estes react to them can determine the relationship you create and or keep with that client. So what I love is that you keep an adverse event log so that the same mistakes don't happen over and over again. But moving forward, Andrea mentioned that this happened with a salicylic peel. What should Estes remember about peels to avoid a similar mistake from happening? I never like brushes for chemical peel application. The peel solution is typically really thin and it tends to drip and run. And so I learned to make a little triangular wad out of a two by two gauze and then dip it in the chemical peel solution, saturate the gauze and apply that to the skin in broad strokes. Of course, you're always wearing gloves because the acid will eat through the gloves and then you're gonna have peeling fingers. I also recommend applying barrier cream, petroleum or something occlusive in the creases. So the corners of the nose and the mouth and the eyes. So the solution doesn't pool and penetrate more deeply than you intend. And a cotton headband around the hairline to absorb any seeping peel solution because that peel will penetrate and then travel transdermally and your client will get some dandruffy stuff if it travels into the hairline. Timing with chemical peels is also really critical. You can't apply and leave the room. You know, if it says it's going to take three minutes, you can't leave the room for two. You need to keep your eyes on the skin and have your stopwatch going so that you can know when to neutralize and remove the solution. I also keep a really large syringe of water on my tray so that if peel solution does seep into a client's eyes, the corner of their eye, I can just have them turn to the side and rinse their eyes out. I've had instances where that has happened and the client is freaking out. It's in my eyes. It's in my eyes. It's in my eyes. And I can tell them it's the same pH as lemon juice. This is the same pH as lemon juice. I'm just going to rinse your eye. But they're under the impression, you know, they're going to go blind. So having that syringe of water has been really also another important kind of safety tip that I've learned. Yeah, I think I would have been that client that was screaming bloody murder. <laughs> if anything goes in my eyes, um, it's done. But I think these are some really great tips, Mary. And I think that the Estes listening can really learn from this. Haley Wood is another Estee that we spoke to who also had a challenging moment with appeal. And she was actually our first guest speaker for part one of the Horror Stories series. Yeah, well, I sat down with Haley to talk about what happened. I remember I had this one 
client, this was when I worked for a plastic surgeon. It was this really deep peel. She was really excited about it. The plastic surgeon convinced her and she just refused to like follow my instructions, even though I had given her my phone number, she signed a waiver. We had given her all the products to make sure she was good to go. And then at 3am, like that, that night, like after she sends me a photo and there is what looks like a massive gash on her face. And I'm freaking out because I feel like the doctor's going to be upset. Like I didn't set her up well. And I'm really concerned. I'm like, well, so what, what at 3am I'm up I'm I'm texting her. I'm like, did you go anywhere? And she's like, yeah, I went to my, my daughter's recital. I'm like, well, that was another thing you should have probably told me when I asked you what you were going to be doing post post peel. But I'm like, well, it's not, it's not that bad. And I'm like, is it hurting? Is it like whatever? And come to find out after all this stress, I have to wake up the doctor because this is a, like his, one of his VIP patients. And she got a hair stuck in like some of her product or, like, that was on the skin. It kind of looked like a major <laughs> gash. It wasn't even anything. She just had like, she hugged someone and their hair got stuck on her face. And in the photo, it looked like a big laceration. I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? So yeah, that was one of my more troublesome experiences in the treatment room like that with people just not focusing in on like what to do post-care. Post-care is always important. Peels are no exception. Peels can go really wrong with hyperpigmentation or hypopigmentation. Then you've got a bigger problem to fix beyond what the client initially came to see you for. There are a lot of ways to treat the skin so the peel goes deeper than you intended. Like doing a microdermabrasion before a peel, for example, it'll remove some layers of the stratum corneum that the peel would have had to work through. And if that stratum corneum is removed and then the barrier is aggressively removed mechanically, then the peel solution is going to penetrate into those intracellular spaces and just become more aggressive. You need to know that and anticipate providing either a less aggressive microderm or reducing the time that the peel is able to work. Your client has to really be willing to apply the home care and keep their hands off their face, use SPF, or you can get into some real trouble. Yeah, I think everything you're saying, it kind of goes with that 80-20 rule or concept where the results you want for your skin is 80% of what you do at home and 20% of what the esthetician does. And Mary, I remember in part one of Horror Stories, you spoke about how you learned the importance of asking your clients exactly what they were getting into after the procedure. Why is it so important to understand what your clients are going to do post-treatment? Well, I remember a client I had, Pam. She was delightful. She spent thousands of dollars with me. She was committed to her home skin care. She was very regular in her appointments and she was just so sweet. She came in for her third microneedling uh, in a series of treatments that she'd had. She had no problem with her first two appointments. And so she didn't take my post-care instructions very seriously the third time. She went home. She had a load of bark dust delivered to her driveway. She shoveled bark dust for several hours. That bark dust was filled with allergens and bacteria, and she actually ended up in the hospital for three days with a bacterial infection on IV antibiotics. Her face was completely unrecognizable. 
But thank God she listened to my advice about going to the emergency room or urgent care when she called to tell me that she had swelling that was going down her neck because her airway could have been instructed and she would have been in some really big trouble. It was a frightening experience for her and it was really a clear lesson for me. Yeah, that is definitely a horror story. I'm just happy that out of all of those post-care instructions or advice that she listened to the part about going to the ER. But I think that a lot of times these instances can be avoided with a thorough consultation. Like you mentioned, Mary, your client didn't take your instructions seriously. So I don't know how that can be avoided, but covering ground regarding what can go wrong and how to avoid said things from going wrong is imperative in that initial conversation. So what can Estes do to ensure that their consultations are as effective as possible? Estes really need to concentrate at that consultation. Ask about any plans or special events. That's really important to get an idea of your client's timeline. You want to be really, really clear with what your client can expect after treatment, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. The consultation is not something that should be rushed. It's just way worth the investment in time. Well, with Haley's situation, her client seemed to blow their condition way out of proportion. How can an SD deal with similar scenarios, keep their clients calm while assisting them the best way they can? Well, everyone's going to have to deal with a client who's a bit over the top and feel like they're in distress when there's really nothing wrong. My experience has been that those are really few and far between. You know, I've had a couple of situations where clients had more peeling than they anticipated and felt it was a disaster, but that really was my fault for not preparing them. Then I've had some clients who felt like they were disappointed because they didn't peel more. I did have one client who wanted to see the terrible hyperpigmentation she had after her session. So I had her come in and I couldn't see anything. And so she said, well, it looks different in my bathroom lighting. So I just took pictures, put it in her file. So I had photo documentation and then I check in with her periodically. Not daily, because I'd seen it and I could see that it really wasn't an emergency, but she had more of a body dysmorphic thing. I don't know. Taylor, do you have recommendations? If you were a client, what would give you peace of mind? Well, let's see. Recommendations on dealing with clients who blow things out of proportion. I'm thinking about it all from a psychological aspect. I think it's always best to keep your composure and have the attitude that nothing is surprising or at least act that way on the outside. And then when you get alone, you can be like, with F. But... When dealing with those clients, it's about making them feel reassured that everything will be okay and allow them to get it all out. Once they're calm, explain to them what's happened, the next steps, and the ways y'all will get through it together. So if I were a client, some reassurance from my esthetician would give me some peace of mind. And also the fact that whatever happened to my skin was a possibility because my esthetician already clued me in on that in the consultation. She or he clued me in on all those possible adverse effects. So in one word, communication. Communication would give me a peace of mind 100%. Some key takeaways with today's episode are for estheticians to take control of their own careers and do what they can do to avoid having a bad outcome with a client. Education using their voices with their employers, not to be pushed into performing services that they aren't trained to do. 
Another takeaway goes back to the consultation and being intentional and thorough, and then be clear in your post-treatment expectations and instructions. Well, Mary, I think those are all great key takeaways. So let's see, without reiterating what you just said, I would say my key takeaways are one, maintain professionalism when mistakes happen. The second one would be the significance of setting firm boundaries with certain clients, just to ensure that you, the esthetician, is working in a stable environment and not randomly thrown off by, let's say, those helicopter parents that we spoke about earlier. And then the last key takeaway is to communicate continuously. So like you mentioned, you would do those check-ins weekly or daily if needed. And it's really important to have an open line of communication with your clients at all times. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself. Remember to stay open and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host Taylor and our producers at Quill Inc.